Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Katie G and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Thursday, February 13th, 2014. Today we are reading from the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous and we are at page 21, paragraph 2. Here is the fellow. Today's readers are the 12 Steps Lowest, 12 Traditions Melanie, and our readers are Marita, Katie F., and Nancy P. The reference number for Wednesday, yesterday, February 12th, is 5909. The OA Preamble, Over Years Anonymous, is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Lois to read the 12 steps. Lois. Thank you, Katie. Uh, Good morning, all. Uh, This is Lois, recovered in Massachusetts. The 12 steps of Overeaters Anonymous. Number one, we admitted we were powerless over food and that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people whenever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you very much, and I pass. Thanks, Lois. I will now ask Melanie to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater calling in from Oregon. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, The only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. 
Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelve, anonymity is a spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Pass. Thank you, Melanie. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, Press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone um, must be muted except for the speakers. And today we resume our study of the big book on page 21, paragraph 2, Here is the Fellow. And I will ask Marita to get us started, please. Marita. Good morning, Vision for You. Good morning, Katie G. This is Marita, compulsive overeater, recovered in Virginia. Here's the fellow who's been puzzling you, especially in his lack of control. He does absurd, incredible, tragic things while drinking. He is a real Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. He is seldom mildly intoxicated. He is always more or less insanely drunk. His disposition while drinking resembles his normal nature, but little. He may be one of the finest fellows in the world, yet let him drink for a day, and he frequently becomes disgustingly and even dangerously antisocial. He has a positive genius for getting tight at exactly the wrong moment particularly when some important decision must be made or engagement kept. He's often perfectly sensible and well-balanced concerning everything except liquor, but in that respect, he is incredibly dishonest and selfish. He often possesses special abilities, skills, and aptitudes and has a promising career ahead of him. He uses his gifts to build up a bright outlook for his family and himself and then pulls the structure down on his head by a senseless series of sprees. He is the fellow who gets to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. Yet early the next morning, he searches madly for the bottle he misplaced the night before. If he can afford it, he may have liquor concealed all over his house to be certain no one gets his entire supply away from him to throw down the waste pipe. As matters grow worse, he begins to use a combination of high-powered sedatives and liquor to quiet his nerves so he can go to work. Then comes the day when he simply cannot make it and gets drunk all over again. Perhaps he goes to a doctor who gives him morphine or some sedative with which to taper off. Then he begins to appear at hospitals and sanitariums. Wow, so this is, uh, this is the description that they're giving to us of the real alcoholic 
or an, an approximation of what. Hey, Marita, I'm sorry to interrupt. Would you mind? I made a mistake. Would you mind just reading that next small paragraph as well okay. and including that in your share? I apologize, everyone. Okay, sorry. Thank you. No problem. That was my mistake. Okay. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic as our behavior patterns vary. But this described but this description should identify him roughly. Yeah, and that's what that's all I was gonna say was that uh this is a this gives us a the broad strokes, the over the the overview of uh of the kind of behavior that uh people experience with alcoholism. And as far as compulsive overeating goes, the similarities are striking to me. Uh in in it's it's surprising because we're not I'm as an overeater, I'm not as um flamboyant and uh wild as uh as some uh uh alcoholic types may be. But it's absolutely true that my behavior was extremely puzzling to me in its lack of control and that I was incredibly dishonest and selfish when it came came to the food. And uh and I did do absurd, incredible, and tragic things when I was drunk in the food. Um, and, I, and it definitely made me very antisocial. I was very withdrawn and um, self-absorbed and uh, depressed in my, uh, in my seclusion. Um, but the one thing that they were talking about here, which, which was kind of hit me this morning, when it's saying that here's the man, here's the fellow, who goes to bed so intoxicated he ought to sleep the clock around. So he's saying the 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 narrator is describing somebody who ought to be so hungover in the morning after ingesting this toxic substance that he will his body will force him into sort of a stasis like a twelve hour rest, sleeping the clock around, so that it can recover from the poison and on awakening, you know, start off in a healthy way. Um, but that's not the way uh, the alcoholic oftentimes experiences liquor. Oftentimes they're not hungover. Um, I know Dr. Bob's story makes mention of that. Like he was he was the guy that could drink more beer than anybody else, and uh, that made him kind of special but it was a problem for him. He should have, and he thought he should have understood that this was an issue for him. The idea that his body didn't react the way other people's did, didn't see it as a poison, but as something that needed he needed more and more of. <clears throat> and I can remember binging the night, you know, into the night, and then uh, falling asleep in a in a in a drunken stupor, you know, drooling. I don't know. And um talk. And and in the morning Excuse me, if you just said I don't know, could you please mute your phone? Everyone can hear you. Thank you. So Excuse going me, to Marita. binging binging my brains out, waking up in the morning, and the first thing I want is more of whatever it was I couldn't stand myself for eating the night before. The first thing I want, I'm, and I'm ravenous for it, my hunger. I don't experience the kind of ravenous hunger that I used to get on, my, on first awakening after a binge-filled night. And that was an awful feeling. It was, it was immediate. It was animalistic. It was uh, something that I should have understood to be a real of my being very different from a normal eater. And um, thanks very much for that, and I pass. Before we invite the first person to share, <clears throat> excuse me, on what was read, I'd like to respectfully request that everyone take a moment and please press star one to ensure that you're absolutely muted. We have over 200 participants on this line, and I want to make sure that it's enjoyable for everyone. So please just take a minute and make sure you're muted. Thank you so much, everybody. And Marita, thank you so much for sharing. And who would like to share this morning on what we just read? Lauren S. And Katie. Lauren 
And I'm this sorry, is Amy. What okay. Close. Oh. And Amy. Okay, I heard Amy. Hey. I heard Lauren. Um, hey guys, Larry? we really and Larry, we really have a lot of background noise on the phone right now. Um, thank you. Okay, so right now the lineup. I have Amy, Larry, and Lauren. So we're going to go ahead and get started. Amy, please go ahead. Uh, this is Amy, recover compulsive from uh, Maryland. Can you hear me, Kim? Or Katie, rather? Yes, Amy, yes. I can hear you. Yep. Okay. Great. Good morning. My name is Amy. I am a compulsive reader recovered from Maryland. This is by no means a comprehensive picture of the true alcoholic as our be- pattern, patterns of uh, behavior vary. You know, this is the chapter, there is a solution. So what are they describing here? Why is it they're going back and forth and, and, and reviewing and repeating, you know, what it is the true alcoholic or compulsive reader is? Why? Because as many have said on the lines, if we don't know what the problem is, how are we going to figure out what the solution is? And they're going over and over in as much detail as they can, oh, okay. even saying that patterns may vary. They're going through as much detail. Repetition is the father of learning here. Why is it that we must understand the difference between the true alcoholic and the not alcoholic? Because I can say for me, if there's any room for leeway, if I don't know in my heart of hearts who and what I am and what the problem is, I am not going to recover. And it talks about how they go through this process of a binge with drinking. It's the same for us as an alcoholic. They are asking us to look at our behavior and decide who we are and if this is true that this is our problem. It asks us to diagnose ourselves and come to a decision. You know, if we go further into another chapter, more about alcoholism, it asks you here, we don't pronounce or we don't like to pronounce any individual as alcoholic, but you can quickly diagnose yourself. Step to the nearest bar room and try some controlled drinking. Try to drink and stop abruptly. Try it more than once. It will not take long for you to decide if you are honest with yourself about it. It may be worth a bad case of the jitters if you get a full knowledge of your condition. Well, for me as a compulsive overeater, I could turn that in, step into a, an all-you-can-eat buffet, you know, go to the dessert bar, have one dessert or one bite of one dessert and walk away. You know, try it again the next day. And it may be, well, a, a good case of the jitters for me to understand because I knew that as soon as I stepped in and put that allergic substance into my body, i.e. sugar, sugar, wheat, high fat, flour, that type of thing into my system, I was gone. There was no way. And I had no way of not putting that first bite into my mouth as well because of the mental obsession. Again, if we go back to step one in the 12 and 12, who cares to admit complete defeat? Practically no one. Every natural instinct cries out against the idea of personal powerlessness. It is truly awful to admit that food in hand or alcohol in hand, we have warped our minds into such an obsession for destructive eating and drinking that only an act of providence, i.e. God, a higher power, can remove it from us. But this is what they're trying to get across here in this chapter is this idea of utter personal powerlessness. And it's upon that powerlessness, upon that step one, that I build my recovery. But I have to understand, am I truly a compulsive overreader? Is this my problem? Am I who they say I am? And if I am, please, God, please, higher power, help me. And then continuing on, they're building on this foundation for what the solution is. But I must know who I am first. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks so much, Amy. And before we move on to Larry, if you are going around in your kitchen, that's fine. But everyone on the line can hear you moving around in your kitchen. So I'd like to, again, please ask for the benefit of all of our recovery, if you could please press star 1 and keep it muted, I would really appreciate it. Thank you. And Larry, if you could please press star 1 so we can hear you. Larry, I hear someone.
Hello, good morning. This is Larry, recovered from Pulse Hi, Larry. Good morning. <laughs> Thanks so much. I know we got a yeah. little bit of static. Um, yes, um, you know, there there is a solution. Thank goodness there is a solution. But you know what? It doesn't matter that there's a solution. Um, not if I don't identify in. <laughs> because why do I need a solution if I'm not one of you? This is just uh, entertainment then. You know, listening. If I'm if I'm still kind of debating, well, I don't know, and that's what I did for years. So um, it was kind of a waste of of my time and yours when I was kind of hanging out and reading about this this beautiful solution. But it was a solution for you, not for me. So I found that identification, you know, and what is identification? It's a personal connection based on your experience. Um, that I found that identification with this disease, the enslavement, the prison, and all its merciless destruction in my life, it has to continue for a lifetime, that identification. It's not like I simply identify once or twice or three times, and I'm good, problem solved, then I'll get on with the solution. For those of us who have been lifted from the gates of this hell, this city, I know for me and those that I talk to that are recovered, they continue to identify in on a daily basis. I mean, that's why I'm here this morning. Beyond carrying the message, I want to remind myself and make a personal connection that, yes, once again, yes, thank you, God, I'm awake this morning, and I am indeed a recovered compulsive overeater by the grace of God just for today. Tomorrow, who knows? I might be back into the bakery box tomorrow. There's no guarantee. So if you're like me with an alcoholic mind like mine that would lead you incessantly back to your substance again and again and again with no reprieve, you know, you might be asking yourself, what do I have to do? And that's what it says. And I mean, I have to tell you, there was no stay of execution for me. There was no pardon from, you know, from the governor coming (laughs) for me. I was dying of this this disease or I was going to die from this disease. And I knew it. And no matter how much resolve I mustered, no matter how sick and tired I was of the the stranglehold of my master, food that had on me, I simply couldn't stop. I mean, nobody ever held me down and forced mountains of binge foods down my throat. I did that. But why can't I stop? You know, please, dear God, if there is a God, make me stop. Just do it for me. Desperation was a great gift. And I was told, it's like this talks about, no human power could have relieved me of my alcoholism. Damn it. I thought my last vestige of hope was ripped from me. You know, a power greater than myself I had no tangible proof of? Yeah, right. Okay. I'm no dummy. You know what? You keep your power. Now let me get over to the library, find another, you know, the definitive self-help book that will finally control this thing. Or, you know, my problem is I just haven't found the right book yet or I, I just need to tap into the right type of exercise program. That's it. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm feeling an endorphin rush just thinking about how I'll be able to apply my brain to this problem. Whew, what a relief. Okay, so the big book tells me, you know, moderate drinkers could stop if they had good reason for it, but not me. You know, I was moderate at one time. The only thing that I could moderate, you know, was, was meeting my responsibilities. That I could moderate. But I was a gutter drunk, you know. I was a gutter eater. So here's a little secret I'll share with you. There's many times when when I was practicing this disease and identifying in that rather than take the steps, I listened to a telephone meeting, just like this one, while in my car as I was on the way to the bakery or the fast food place. And I did go to the doctor to get sedatives to numb me out. You know, that was the, the beauty of feeling nothing. What a tragic lie that was. Thank God for Alcoholics Anonymous. And with that, I'll pass. Thanks, Larry. And Lauren S., please go ahead. Thank you. Lauren S. from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, a recovered compulsive overeater. This paragraph, these two paragraphs allow me to identify in. And as seen in the uh, second, it, it's I'm smiling right now because when I was reading this for the first time back in March, it was tragic. I I was tragically identifying, and now I can I can, you know, I can 
I'm free of this disease. I, I'm just, I'm, I'm free today. Whew. So I, I, uh, I just probably going to start crying, but, um, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde, I never watched that movie, but one of them, I'm not sure if it's Mr. Hyde or Jekyll, what happens is he ingests a certain potion, an elixir, and then after that ingests, it's, it's, I related to Nutty Professor and the Clumps, he ingests a, a, an elixir, and then five seconds later, he's a monster, he's terrorizing his wife. Oh man, that is me with food. And here, um, when I read this, I, I look at the words I wrote at the top of my page. The dictionary describes ism, ISM, as the abnormal state or condition resulting from the excessive use of something. However, I must see that there's a big difference between the results of my compulsive overeating and what makes me a compulsive overeater. Look for the problem and not the outside. And gee whiz, I would come into the rooms and see women who were, who were a different weight than me. I would hear women who would say, you know, I was able to eat pizza and not binge, so I don't have what you have. And wow, here it's saying, look inside for the problem. You know, so what makes you a compulsive overeater? It's not the results. It's not the results. It's not it's not the results. It's it's do you have an allergy and do you have this obsession with food? Do you have the allergy and the obsession? And and underlying it all is a spiritual malady. It's a spiritual problem. It's it's your selfishness, it's your reliance on self, it's your fear driven life relying on yourself. Whew. Okay, I will uh I will pass. Thank you very much. Hi, this is Mary. Thank you, Lauren. Um, this is Katie G. I'm just gonna take a minute. Um, this is Katie G recovered from Boston, Massachusetts, and I just wanted to identify and it's been so exciting to hear everybody this morning and um one of the things that I really relate to is um <laughs> the way this taps into my ego. You know, he has a positive genius for getting tight at the wrong time. I'm a positive genius. I may be one of the finest fellows in the world. I possess special aptitudes, skills, and a promising career ahead of me. And and what this reminds me is of the ABCs, right? A, I'm an alcoholic compulsive overeater and I cannot manage my own life. And B, that no human power that, you know, as one of my readings read, said today, you know, IQ, intelligence, isn't going isn't to help me with this disease. Because no matter what, no matter what I got, college, boyfriend, girlfriend, I always went back to the food. And the minute that I put that food into my body, it set up an uncontrollable craving for more. And it was my drug of no choice. I couldn't stop. But the problem was... All of my thinking, all of my brilliance, all of my whatever I thought I was doing that was so great, it didn't protect me from the disease of compulsive overeating. I love it. Um, an, an alcoholic shared with me once, if you take the word alcoholism, what does the ism stand for? I separate myself. I separate myself from me. I separate myself from you. And I separate myself from God, right? And I do that because I'm so selfish at my core. I want what I want when I want it. I'm selfish. I'm dishonest. I will go to any length to get it. Um, and, you know, whether I'm eating or not eating. And so, yeah, I really, really identified in and with the un- uncontrollable things I did, you know, concealing food all over the house and falling asleep with food in my mouth and waking up with food in my mouth and continuing to eat. But I couldn't stop. And no matter how many therapists I went to, no how many psychiatrists I went to, this disease wouldn't stop, right? The thinking, the, the, this thought that I someday, somehow, I will control and enjoy my food. Someday I will overcome this. And I can do this all on my own. I was hopelessly defeated. And all I knew 
when I got to this chapter with my sponsor was that every single solution that I had tried didn't work. And I have a message of hope today to carry to you that there is a solution, one solution, right? And we read it in the beginning of this meeting through abstinence and practicing of the 12 steps. And, you know, I love that someone shared it. It's not even just about calling into a 12-step meeting, right? It's about taking the action as and following the directions as directed by a sponsor in this book. And thank you so much for allowing me to share. And who else would like to share on the reading? This is Lisa. Can I share? Sure. I heard a couple people. I, I definitely Lois? heard Bella, and there was someone else. Lois? Mary. Mary. Okay, I have Bella, Lois, and Mary. Did I miss anybody? All right, fantastic. Bella, you're up, please. Thank you. Good morning. My name is Bella, and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Katie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody that is on the line. Wow, I love, I love this paragraph. It's very empowering paragraph, and this is the beginning of the solution. What is the beginning? To trust myself. Why I have to again and again hear so many descriptions how to identify myself? Because it gives me the power to trust myself, to respect myself, to respect my feeling. I have now the power to diagnose myself by myself. I don't need my parents should tell me, oh, Bella, you are overeater. I don't need my teachers. I don't need my husband. I don't need my children to tell me who I am and what I am. Yes, God is trusting me, and he gave me the, the ability to, to identify myself by myself. Yes, I know I am a compulsive overeater. It's the end of the blaming and the judging. Yes. Now what the program is teaching me that I am powerless and I want to be connected to God. I have one power, the power to do the right choice one day at a time. And my choice now at this minute is to take responsibility of my life. Yes, I am a compulsive overeater because God gave me a present. It's a present because now, thank God, thank God it's a miracle that I have the tools, the right tools to live with this gift that I got from God and to manage my own life by being connected to God. And this is the first step. Yes, I, 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 am, not, uh, I am not ashamed and not feel guilty that I am a compulsive overeater because nobody is telling it to me. I realize by myself, and I don't want anymore to live this life that I used to live before program, and I am choosing the right choice one day at a time. Yes, I want to be connected to God and to hear God's directions to me 24-7. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella. And Lois. We're ready for you to share, please. Hi, good morning. <clears throat> good morning. This is uh, Lois, a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. And um, I wanted to share on, first of all, there is a solution, and also on Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. But, you know, there is a solution, but did I really think that there was a solution for me? While I was into the food and the disease, you know, I could not identify in. I compared. I thought, like, I would be reading that that, that this past paragraph, and I would really, you know, I would really say this is not me, I'm not that bad. And for so many years, you know, I compared in program that I wasn't that bad, I'm just a little bit of a compulsive overeater, I'm, a comp- I'm a, just a food addict. And it wasn't until my disease took me to my knees, you know, many, many wasted years, many, many broken promises, you know, many relationships that suffered, 
um, I, I was able to, when hurting enough, I was able to really try to relate in and to look for a solution for me and to see where, uh, where, where I could identify in and, and how I could relate this to me. There were so many ways that I couldn't, of course. And also, I was in denial, so I wasn't able to do that either. It wasn't until, you know, I was brought to my knees by this disease. And, and it will do that, it did it for me, and it will do it for you as well. So maybe you won't have to go that far down. But as far as the Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde, when I was reading this before, I said, well, I, that wasn't at all like me. That was because, you know, if I had been drinking alcohol, maybe. But, you know, when I have to be honest, and when I can be honest, I was a Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde. You know, when I, when I was able to eat the way I wanted to eat, I felt really good. You know, I was looking for ease and comfort in food, and I got it. And and when I wasn't able to do that, you know, when um, when I was 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 not able to get the food I wanted, or if you were in my way, or if I was trying to, you know, to uh, put the food down, you know, I was restless, irritable, and discontent, full of anger, resentment. And if you looked at me the wrong way, you know, I would re- re- respond that way as well. You know, so this is a good reminder for me that this is what the disease can do for me. You know, I can always go back there. And, and I never want to forget how, how those years went for me. That's why I love to keep studying and learning about this, this disease. Because uh, I have been granted a reprieve, you know, I've recovered, gone through these steps, and, and I've found a solution. And um, until I, you know, as long as I keep in fit spiritual condition one day at a time, you know, I could easily go back there. So I just uh, want to say that, and I'll pass, and thank you for letting me share. Thanks, Lois. And Mary. Hi, Sharon. Yes, thank you. Um, my name is Mary P., Recovering Compulsive Overeater in Vermont. And this is my first time sharing on the line. And um, as I'm looking at this and listening to everyone this morning, I'm just thinking um, that there is a solution. And today I'm choosing to live in the solution. I've just finished my fifth step. And so what this means to me is just looking back that I've always had um, incredible lack of control and um, just everything they say, the insanity of food and Am I working the program today to just lose weight, or am I working it to have a complete psychic change? And I've been in the program for 10 years, and I've been on normal body weight, um, but still been really insane um, with food and then without food, trying to control it. And um, so today I'm making a, a choice to work the program and work the steps, and to um, I can see now that I, I need to work it every day to have a complete psychic change because my problem has not been weight um, or even necessarily food. Thank you. Thanks, Mary. And we're going to move on now. Katie F., if you could please pick up the reading where we left off. Good morning. This is Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Why does he behave like this? If if hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it he takes that one drink? Why can't he stay in the water wagon? What has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? And, you know, this is the great riddle, like, for all of us. Why do we take that first bite? If I don't take the first bite, I don't have to worry about the hundred or, you know, the gaining back 50 pounds or whatever it is I had lost. So this is uh, the whole mystery of the program, and that's why there is a solution. Because I, on my own willpower, could not stop myself from taking the first bite. I convinced myself that it was going to be different. I convinced myself that it wasn't going to take me where it took me before. Or I convinced myself that it was a food that wasn't really a problem. All of those things are just this big mystery. And the fact is, I can't stay stopped on my own. It's a power greater than myself that has given me that ability. It's not that I suddenly got smart enough and I suddenly understood and I suddenly realized and these light bulbs went off in my head. 
what happened was God took me from the pit of despair that I was in and put me on a different footing. He put me on a ground that um, it's not that I uh, am smart enough to not take that first bite. I don't want to take that first bite. I have a food plan that is foolproof, that does not have any of my binge foods, that does not have any food that I have a desire to have more of. And, you know, I could binge on just about anything. So, you know, if I really analyze it uh, hard enough, there are foods that I eat today that I probably could eat too much of. But that is the uh, part that is, you know, (laughs) the difference between Weight Watchers and Overeaters Anonymous is we have a spiritual solution, not a uh, behavior modification solution. And I'm just so grateful that um, I don't have to go out and look, as Larry was talking about, you know, for some new uh, book to read and some new way of doing things. I have the solution today, and I can use these 12 steps in every area of my life. It's helped me to be a better mother, a better wife, a better employee, a better, uh, you know, uh, person in the community because I can live my life today free from that mental obsession and that twisted thinking that got me to pick up that first bite thinking it was going to be different. I don't have to do that today. Um, but it wasn't my own thinking that got me to, uh, to realize that. It was a surrender and a willingness to go to any lengths for my recovery. And that willingness and uh, ability to go to any length has just gone one day on top of the next. And I do the next right thing, and I put the rest in God's hands. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Hi. And who would Hi. like to share on what was read? Hi, Katie in Pittsburgh. Okay, I heard Kim, and then I heard somebody else. Katie from Pittsburgh. Okay, I heard Kim, and then I heard Katie, and then I heard Janice. Did I miss anybody? Amy. Leah. And Amy. Okay, hang on one second. All right, so I'm going to put a cap on this because we have five shares. We've got Kim, Katie, Janice. Amy and Leah, and then we will welcome our next chair. So we're going to start off with Kim, please. Good morning, Katie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Why does he behave like this? Oh, my goodness. Did I spend so many times, so much time in OA asking this question, and it was just such a ridiculous question. I would analyze my background. Maybe it was because my mom loved me too much. Maybe it was because my mom didn't love me enough. Maybe it's because those kids teased me in fourth grade. Maybe it's because that guy didn't ask me to the prom. Why did he behave like this? I spent so much time analyzing and trying to figure out the exact reason that I ate. And the fact was, there's no answer to this riddle we're going to find out. So why, why can't I stay on the wagon? Why doesn't my willpower work? Well, I have to tell you, when I stopped reading the big book and I started studying the big book and I started to understand that I had this twofold illness, I understood that it had nothing to do if I was a good girl or if I was a bad girl. It had nothing to do with when I was a size 24 and couldn't walk up a flight of stairs without catching my breath or when I was a size 2 and I lost my period, or I was the size I am now, which is a 10, and I was binging and purging and over-exercising. That was not my problem. My problem, why do I behave like this? Because abstinence is my problem. Food is not my problem. Food was the solution. And then the solution to food stopped working. That's when I crawled my way into Overeaters Anonymous. As long as the food was working, I want nothing to do with you people. My true problem is sobriety. My true problem is absence. My true problem is I am restless. I am irritable. I am discontent. I am not comfortable in my own skin. That's why. That is why, that no matter how many debacles I have, no matter how many times my experience shows me over and over and over 
but I cannot have that first bite without going into a binge or being so miserable trying to control two or three bites. So if I want to recover from this illness, I have to 100 fully concede that I can never have those substances again. And then I need to learn to live abstinently. I need to learn to be abstinent and happy. And if you are as seriously alcoholic as I am, if you suffer from this disease the way that I suffered for decades, I have found the only solution is a spiritual experience, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. I had tears in my eyes as I heard Lauren talk about the joy of being a recovered woman. Because that's the joy we're going to have. We're going to see those of us who suffer, who are going to go from hopelessness to hope. Today, I am a compulsive overeater. I do not suffer from compulsive overeating. I no longer ask why I behave like this. I ask God to free me from this obsession on a daily basis by living in 10, 11, and 12. And how do I live in 10, 11, and 12? The only way I can live in 10, 11, and 12 is if I first do steps 1 through 9. So the freedom, the freedom came from me when I stopped reading this book, I started studying this book, and I realized that food is not my problem. Being abstinent is my problem. And my only solution to abstinence is been working these 12 steps and establishing that relationship with my higher power. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. And Katie S.? Did you call on me? Yes, I did. Okay. Hi, Katie. This is Katie in Pittsburgh, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you. Um, so, you know, why can't I stay soft? That's really what we're talking about. I mean, we talked about having an allergy and then the true problem being in our mind. And, you know, for me, I could relate to uh, the description of the real compulsive overeater, you know, she uses her gifts to build up a bright outlook for her family and herself and then pulls the structure down on her head by a senseless series of sprees and senseless series of binges. And um, I was having a visualization of myself of after one of these binges and after all the destruction and all the pain that I've caused to my family and to um, those around me, it's like I was kind of in the movies where there's that... uh, that self-destruct button or the, you know, uh, the missile button. And it's like in a glass case, locked down, and there's some guards around it, and that's how I would feel with uh, um, staying away from the food at first. You know, I would have this uh, militant guard against it, um, against hitting that button. And uh, the next thing you know, as time went on, I'm still trying to guard, but then it's my mind that is tricking me. And I'm looking around and all of a sudden that red button, it turns to a green button in it. And it looks like, it looks like an upgrade. And I start looking around and saying like, this life's okay, but like that would, that would add to it. And then I'm, why am I guarding this? Why am I, why aren't I improving my life here by taking a couple of bites of this or, you know, going out to, have a little fun here and next thing you know I'm unlocking that case and I'm pushing that upgrade button it was my mind that completely changed reality into a delusion that that self-destruct button was actually going to improve upon what I was doing and today going through the steps going through the work being clearly that my mind will always trick me into pushing that button if I don't protect my spiritual connection. Um, so that's why that's why it's the most important thing today. That's why you know living in the solution, living uh, one day at a time, and um, all of those. 
everything that matters is in getting to a place where my mind, I don't need to stand guard so that this red button never gets pushed. It's like I can just see the button for what it is, and I won't want to. There, I don't. I don't need to push that button. My mind's not going to trick me anymore to changing it from red to green. With that, I pass. Thank you. Thank you, Katie and Janice. Yes, thank you, Katie. Very briefly, um, my name is Janice, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, in that one paragraph, there's five whys. Why? 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 It sounds like I'm whining. You know, by this time, we should know what the problem is, and we know that it's twofold, right? So why, here I go, why do I need to know why? I mean, it's just a waste of time. Even if I spent decades trying to find out why, was it my father, was it my mother, that's why I do this, that's why I do that, it didn't solve a thing. It didn't solve anything. I still have the problem. So it's really ridiculous because intellectually, I don't care how smart we are or how much money we have and how much money we spend to find out how, why, it's not going to solve the problem because I have a twofold problem. It's not just the abstinence. It's because abstinence takes care of my physical part of my problem. But I have another problem, and the solution is the mind. The mind, my mind is like a manufacturing company. One half of the mind says, you know, gives all these alibis and excuses, and the other half of the manufacturing company says, go ahead out and sell it. You see, abstinence just takes care of the physical, but my problem is spiritual. And I can't even, when I'm abstinent, I couldn't make a decision whether to pick up or not pick up. So if I knew, it doesn't have anything to do with why. You know, it's just like, it's, it, there's no need to find out why. I have it, now I know what I have to do about it. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Janice. And Amy, please. Uh, good morning, again. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Uh, what has become of the common sense and willpower that he still sometimes displays with respect to other matters? Well, again, what others have said, we've addressed the physical allergy with Dr. Jekyll and Hyde, but now is the real crux of the problem of our disease, which is the mental obsession. If I know that I have an allergy, why, and it's killing me, why am I continually going back to putting the allergic substance into my body? And it says, why is common sense and willpower not working? You know, Larry talked earlier about identifying in. Well, it's just as easily I can, as a compulsive, over, uh, uh, compulsive overeater, identify out. We can walk out that door. I mean, society has come around a bit with alcoholism about the powerlessness of alcoholism, but they're not there with compulsive overeating. We've got a five or whatever, $10 billion industry based on weight loss programs and different things, and four out of five doctors will give you pills, shots, wraps. They won't tell you about a mental obsession or a physical allergy, maybe, but we can just as easily walk out that door and identify out. So I beg of you, if you are on the line and you think that this might be an issue, that you might have this mental obsession, then listen carefully and try and think. I can tell you honestly, I wasn't struck abstinent like other people were talking about earlier. I wasn't sure. But what I heard, I mean, I was in so much pain. I wanted to die. It says in the program, when the pain of where you are gets bad enough, you'll move. I was terrified thinking, is this truly me? Am I the compulsive overeater that they're describing here? Do I truly have such a warped mind with my thinking that if I went to the doctor and he said, stop eating sugar and you'll die, or you'll die, I'm not sure I would be able to stop eating sugar. As a matter of fact, I don't think I could because I knew for some reason I would find a way to get back to that food. And that's the scary thing, to think that I am so powerless that my mind is sick. And I can't help myself. And the world will back me up saying, no, no, it's control. It's all about control. I remember one of my closest friends used to say to me in my active eating, Amy, it's a good thing you try to diet every once in a while or if you tried some sort of control, you'd be 500 pounds. That was her mentality because she thought sanely about food and around food. 
If someone told me I was allergic to strawberries and you better stop eating it or you'll die, I would sanely say, oh, okay, I'll not eat strawberries because strawberries will kill me. I couldn't say the same about food. That's where the sanity stopped. And I was in so much pain that when I came to Overeaters Anonymous and I heard about this, this mental obsession and I heard about this food, I realized, well, I'm not sure, but you know what? I'm dying here. I hurt so much. And it's through that utter powerlessness that we have to get to that type of identification, which is I am utterly powerless. And if we go back to step one, it says, we perceive that only through utter defeat are we able to take our first step towards liberation. Our admissions of personal powerlessness finally turn out to be the firm bedrock upon which happy and purposeful lives may be built. Again, in the big book, we have a solution upon which we can absolutely agree. So when I came to Overeaters Anonymous and I said, you know what, I think this is me and I'm going to work this program like my life depends upon it because where I am is killing me. I can't stay where I am anymore. I can't stop eating. I have to find a different way, and my way is not working. Again, if you're on this line, my sponsor used to say to me, if your way is working, why are you here? So this desperation, this powerlessness, this willingness to surrender is about what, is a, is what this program is about. We must first identify in to admit to who we are, and to surrender. At least that was my process, and I believe it's what the big book is telling us to do. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. And Leah? Thanks so much, Katie. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. If hundreds of experiences have shown him that one drink means another debacle with all its intended suffering and humiliation. Why is it that he takes that one drink? Again, the emphasis here, one drink, not the tenth one, the first one is the issue. Um, debacle meaning a disaster or a failure. You know, if hundreds of experience have shown me that one bite means another disaster with all its attendant suffering and humiliation, why is it that Leah takes one bite? I mean, what is wrong with my mind? Why don't I respond to humiliation? Most people respond to humiliation. Why couldn't I respond to humiliation? Why couldn't I learn from the consequences of my behavior? Why was I forgetting to remember? You know, I had stopped thousands of times. Why couldn't I stay stopped? I had this utter inability to leave it alone, no matter how great the necessity or the wish. And I had the necessity. I had medical consequences. I had threats of divorce. I had concerned family. I had been hospitalized a few times regarding this eating disorder. I was suffering. I had mental torture. I had emotional turmoil. I was experiencing isolation. I was experiencing deep depression. I was experiencing suicidal thinking. I had the necessity. I had the wish. I had a mental deficiency which prevented me from processing reality and processing that this was my consequences. You know, no matter how badly I wanted to see and no no matter how badly I wished I could stop, no matter how painful the consequences were, no matter how great the suffering, uh, no matter how clearly the information was presented to me at times, um, I could not stop. My mind was defective. My mind was flawed. And I would cry real tears at night, and I would say, what's wrong with me? Why do I eat like this? Why can't I stop? And then I would make a vow to change, and I would promise that I was going to change. And that night or the next day, I would binge. My book is going to tell me that I have a malady of my spirit, an illness of my soul, a gangrene of my spirit. And when the spiritual malady is overcome, I will straighten out mentally and physically. And that's exactly what happened. And with that, I pass things. Thank you, Leah. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Thank you to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Nancy T., will you please read A Vision for You? Our book is meant to be suggestive only. 
Thank you, Katie. I'd be happy to. This is Nancy, Composable Breeder in Lewiston, Idaho. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.